Let me open in prayer just to get our heads focused again from moving. Father, take over our hearts and our, our mind. Help us to be attentive. Help us to see your word active in our life and help us to be humble, to hear your word and to change. God, grow in us the great news that you have for us each and every day and help us to continually be mindful of who we are before you. We love you. In Jesus' amen. So, everyone got your Bibles, electronic or otherwise, and notes. All right. Aim for Mark chapter 8. That's the text we'll be in, but we've got a little bit of real estate to work through before that. All right, before we get into our text, we need to prepare the stage for the events that Jesus is going to bring in front of his disciples. It's kind of rough when you're not sequentially going through a book, all of a sudden you come into the middle of it, you go, what's this all mean? So, all right, we've got two major events we need to look at first. That's going to help us to really understand what the text is, what it's saying, what Jesus is going through with his men. So our first event is going to be the feeding of the 5,000. If you want to follow along, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, the whole text is sitting in Mark 6, 30 through 44. Now, the reason I'm not going to read the whole thing is it's a lot. So what I want to do is to kind of give you some of the highlights of what we need to focus in on that prepares us for where we're going to be in Mark. Now, the question you always have to ask is feeding of the 5,000. So where are we? What's happening? Where is this thing happening? Actually, Luke 9.10 records that they went to the town of Bethsaida. The name means house of fish. That's going to help you, right, in the Sea of Galilee? Many towns called that, or basically fish towns. So the whole Galilean area has got a lot of these cities. So to exactly where, specifically geographically, we are located, we don't have the absolutes, but we do have enough. Now, starting near verse 30, I'm going to just name the verse and highlight and keep it in your head, because we're not going to read the whole text. 31, I want to kind of get your mindset first, is Jesus has come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Why? They've been out in ministry and exhausted, even to the point they haven't even had time to eat. So they've been busy. And Jesus knows you need some refreshment, come away, and let your mind settle back on the truths of the word. Verse 32, and they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. That's the start point, okay? But that didn't last very long. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. That's kind of typical, right? Everywhere where Jesus shows up, you get a large crowd. Move a little further towards the end of 34, and he began to teach them many things. So it was not only a gathering of people, but it was instructional. Jesus was teaching. Guess who else is there hearing what Jesus is teaching? It's the apostles. They're there. Also in 35, you get some cues into this. It grew late. Why? What's going on? It was a day of teaching. And the apostles come to him and say, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away. That's their resolution to the deal. Get them out of here so we don't have to worry about dealing, and they can go on. And you understand how that story went. 37, Jesus turns on them and says, no, you give them something to eat. All of a sudden they're like, you know, their reactions like, 
yeah, right, okay, look at the pocket, look at the area, where are we going to get? You know, you start going through the human logistics. Why are they not looking at Jesus? Keep that in mind. In 38, towards the end, what do they have to work with? Well, what's Jesus have to work with? Five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them, now notice this, he commanded them all to sit down in groups on what? Green grass. Keep that in mind. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples. Again, notice, he takes the loaves and the fish and goes to God for a blessing. Keep that in mind. 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. Fed to fullness, okay? And 44, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. That's the overall pieces that you need to understand for the 5,000. All right, keep in mind that between the two feeding events, the disciples experience Jesus is walking on the water and they hear the message of Jesus is the bread of life. So these two things are added to what they saw and heard Jesus teaching on that day. Notice, he says in John 6, 48 and 51, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever in the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay? So these men have been and will continue to receive many teachings and see many miracles. They're getting a tremendous amount of information. Notice, too, that Peter, in 2 Peter, a little lower, I think where we are, Joe's going to be next week, he literally says what? For we were eyewitnesses of these things. They were there. They had great opportunity. Second vent, feeding of the 4,000. That's another piece we have to know. Got to ask that same question. How did we get here? Well, we've now come from Galilee to the region of Tyre and Sidon in the north and then turned south along the eastern shore to the region of Decapolis, the ten cities. Mark 8, 1 through 10 covers the feeding of the 4,000. And again, I'm going to highlight pieces we need to hold and compare. Again, a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat. Two, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now, underscore, three days, and have nothing to eat. Okay? Big difference. End of verse 3, and some of them have come from far away. So you're talking about not a close gathering of the Galilean area. You're talking about a large region in the Gentile area on the west. Verse 5, how many loaves do you have? Again, gets this question coming up. We have seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. What's the difference? 5,000 were on nice hills, green grass. What's happening on the western side? Eastern side, sorry, blew that idea. What's happening there? They're on desert ground. It's not lush, it's not nice, it's not comfortable, but they have seven loaves 
They're on the ground. He took the seven loaves. Notice, he took the seven loaves and gave thanks. You get further in verse 7, and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, second blessing, he said to these also that they should be set before them. Verse 8, and they ate and were satisfied. Jesus meets our need and our satisfaction and supplies our needs. Always remember that. Even when you don't think it happens. Yes. And they took up the broken pieces left over. What'd they have? Seven baskets. First feeding, 12. Second feeding, seven. Okay, we've got some issues there that we've got to relook at. He sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the dis- district of Del Manutha. Got that one out. A lot of boat work, right? I mean, don't forget, too, these aren't motorboats. They're not sailboats. They're rowboats, basically. So let's review. All right, we've got two feedings, bread and fish, two separate regions, Jewish and Gentile. Feeding of the 5,000, you get one blessing. You get feeding of the 4,000, two blessings. Interesting there, which most commentators, most individuals look at and see that the double blessings for the Gentiles is, again, teaching them that God is the source of all things, that this is God's work of provision, and to keep them and help them to understand that all things are from God. So it's, again, a greater teaching for the Gentiles. 5,000 were there for one day. The 4,000 were three days. It's a big difference. 5,000 were grassy area. 4,000 were in a desert area. I love this part. This one's really an interesting kind of wakes you up. With the 5,000, the disciples collected 12 baskets as a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel, for they were ministering to Jews. 4,000, the disciples catch this. Now, you don't get it sometimes in your English. Seven huge baskets representing God's completeness or provision. Now, notice the basket reference for the 4,000 is the same type used to let Paul down over the walls in the book of Acts 9.25, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So notice, this is a hamper size. This is a human size basket. It's big. Big interest, big points. Notice, all of them received teachings from Jesus. So now, as Mark identified, that they were in the district of Delmanutha, and as Matthew records it, the region of Magadan. What did we get this morning? Anybody want to tell me where you've heard Magadan before? Mary is from there, okay? <laughs> Isn't that amazing how all of a sudden you, yeah, 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 that's, that's, I know that area. <laughs> Same area between, the, as, as Steve brought up this morning, between the towns of Magdala and Capernaum. Steve even brought that up. So now you can geographically know you're in that area. They got out of the boat, and Jesus is confronted by Pharisees. They're there again, right? All right, Mark 8, 11 through 13. Now follow along. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Heaven, test him. Seriously? And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? 
Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now my brain immediately went, what did the disciples think? One, the hard part is Jesus left them. Can you imagine that reality and the hard hit that the Savior himself left them? Worst part about it, the apostles are probably going, we just got here. Why are we going again? And I just kind of feel the, the they, it's not stated anywhere, but you know, it's like, and they got back in the boat again. And they're going, okay, here we go. The sad point is that they wanted a sign from heaven and they're looking back to their ancestor Moses when signs were performed in Egypt before Pharaoh and also in the wandering wilderness, God provided manna from heaven. They're looking for that external. Even though they were witnesses of all that Jesus said and the miracles that he had performed, they would not believe him. Even to the point if he did do a sign, the Pharisees still wouldn't believe him. That's not the point. The point was to test him, to trick him, to get him to look bad in front of everybody else, to dispel the crowd from thinking he was wonderful. They did not see Jesus as God, the God-man, present with them. Even if something came down from heaven, they would not have believed that he is truly the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself. Their intense hatred for Jesus continues to grow. Now, Matthew provides a little bit more detail, not much. Matthew 16, 4, Matthew brings up, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Jesus is pointing to the final proof of who he is as he looks forward to the resurrection. That's the proof. And you notice, too, when the resurrection happens, everything, even the disciples themselves remembered back and went, now we put two and two together. They didn't fully grasp. That's fine. They learned. All right, now we're on our text. Mark 8, 14 through 21. We'll start in 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Serious, guys? This now sets the stage for the lesson. You know, to us, it does not seem that big of a deal. Just one loaf of bread, you know, just go to the store, get some later if you need more. One loaf is all they had. And Jesus continues now to teach them. In their mind, loaf of bread, one. Verse 15, and he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. <laughs> now for the teaching moment. Jesus is following off of what he had just experienced with the Pharisees. Their denial of Jesus. Here, he warns them to be alert of the false teaching of the Pharisees and the power-hungry false life of Herod. He has shown them his sovereign power as creator with the feedings. He has explained to them that he is the bread of life. Don't forget, this is what they have been taught. Now remember, too, keep in mind, leaven is a clear lesson from the Old Testament and was often used and equated to sin and corruption. A simple search will also explain to you, in the Mosaic law, leaven represents sin or corruption. The law forbade grain offerings made with leaven, Leviticus. In fact, 
No leaven was allowed to be burned on the altar as any sacrifice. The grain offering for Aaron and his sons, the priests, were also not to contain leaven and were to be eaten in a holy place. You know, Paul carried this thing in his teaching to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 7. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, anybody in here done bread from scratch? If you haven't, don't worry, it's, I'll explain it to you. If you've ever done bread, you'll notice the volume between the yeast and the volume of flour is radically different. I mean, you get a couple of tablespoons of yeast and about four to six cups of flour. That's a big ratio. But you notice, too, that as this is mixed in, it permeates every bit of that dough. It's the fermentation. The concept and understanding is that sin penetrates every aspect of our life. It gets into all the details and every item of our life is touched by sin. And that's an issue that Jesus is saying, teaching these men again, stay away from the leaven. Don't allow that little sin take hold, no matter how small, because the small sin grows. It's a great teaching, but what do these guys do with this? Verse 16, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Are you kidding? These disciples just went from Jesus' teaching of a spiritual item to something that's absolutely earthy and worldly and absolutely ridiculous. And can you picture this? I can. Can you picture this discussion? Peter, didn't you? I thought you were the one that was going to bring the bread. I mean, serious. I mean, the whole deal. I don't know, not me. I thought Andrew was going to bring it because he brings everything else. So why not? What's the deal? And they're having this debate. Is it a ridiculous debate? Yes. Is it over something that's stupid? Yes. Is this what Jesus was talking about? No. Let's get Jesus' response. Verse 17. And this is always the fun one. This is the sovereign God, and they think they're going to have a hidden discussion. Oh, no. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? That's kind of, but I would want to say, are you guys kidding me? This is what you've taken from this lesson? You're talking about bread? That's a hard hit. This must have crushed these men for they were nowhere close to what Jesus was teaching. They were miles off. They missed the spiritual and took the worldly. Now Jesus starts going through a series of questions. Questions are good. A lot of times God will ask us questions or work through questions in the scriptures to cause us to not just think of the head but to go deep. To examine deeply the things. I mean when God said to Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned, where are you? God's not asking for a GPS location of where they were hiding. He knew where they were. He's asking them to examine themselves to find out why 
before you were in a deep, heavy communicative relationship with, with God, and now you're not. You've run. Why is the question. When he asked Eve, it's not a surface question, it's what's changed? What's happened? So Jesus now starts that process. Do you not yet perceive and understand what's happening here, guys? What's going on? Are your hearts hardened? It's nothing getting in? It's just up here? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you think, see? What have you seen me do with the feedings? You getting this? Or is it bouncing off? He asked them, what about, do you hear? Did you not grasp the reality that I said that I am the bread of life? Guys, do you not remember? Is it not something that you've kept deep or mulled over to kind of go deeper with? You went, why do we not have bread? No, no, no. He said, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? See, this is a remembering process. He's going to walk them back through all the area that they missed. And they say what? Well, they said to him, 12. Okay, you got that. Good, good. And the seven for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. So again, he's pulling them through a little bit of remembrance and lesson. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not connect to this? Or are you still stuck in the world? I love this. This is a little bit weird. For The first time I read this, I went, wow. But I can understand kind of what Jesus is doing. Ken Hughes brings this up in his commentary. It's a little fun, okay? So some people need some extra help, like the man who went into the bank and said he wanted some money. The teller asked him to make out a check, but the man would not do it. So the teller said, if you won't sign the check, I can't give you any money. You understand the reality of that one, right? So the man went across the street to another bank where the same conversation took place. But after this exchange, the teller reached across the counter, took him by the ear, and banged his head three times on the counter. <clears throat> Not something I recommend doing. After which the man took out a pen and calmly signed the check. The man then returned to the first bank and said, they gave me money across the street. How did, they, how did that happen? Asked the teller. They explained it to me, answered the man. Now, I work in, a, in a, the banking industry, and I know that there would be major issues if a teller ever reached across and whack, 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 whack your head on the ground. But sometimes we need that. So Jesus starts by, by directing the men to examine their spiritual lives. Do you not yet perceive and understand? Are your hearts hardened? And having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? That's that querying. What's going on? Are you just coming, existing, and leaving? With everything they've seen and heard, it's gone absolutely nowhere. Now, is it possible that one can be in the presence of the works of God and not see and take it deep into their lives? Well, you answer that. Is it also possible to hear the word of God and have it only bounce off the ears and never go deep into the transforming work of your life? 
Yes. The man had become too familiar with Jesus. They become numb. Yeah, 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 we do that every, every time. We do, yeah, 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 whatever. We're Jesus every time. And they were not appropriating what they were seeing and hearing. They didn't put it on. They went to the next day and just kept going. The disciples did not take it in and reflect on the feeding miracles, nor Jesus' teaching that he is the bread of life. With all this, they missed that the bread that was taught them, it was Jesus being the bread for the whole world. And he is the total provider of life. Do you notice that the feeding occurred for both Jews and Gentiles? What's Jesus teaching that they missed? The gospel, the truth, the saving work of Christ is for all. It's not a secluded group. It's for all. And he's fed both. One writer wrote, There is no better shield against spiritual declension and weakness than Christian remembering. Okay. So, Jesus now takes them back through to the feedings to waken their minds to spiritual understanding. He helps them and reviews again these things. The feeding miracles were symbolic as Jesus provided the understanding through his questions. The 5,000 were Jews fed to satisfaction with the 12 baskets left. Numerology was kind of working. They were understanding. We understand 12, 12 tribes. We understand these. He also moved on. The 4,000 were Gentiles fed to satisfaction with seven baskets left, the number of fullness and completion. Again, he's teaching. He's trying to help them come forward with this. Now, Jesus is teaching clearly that he is the true bread of life for the world, the Jews and the Gentiles. He's truly the bread of life, and only he can satisfy. You notice, too, in each one of the feedings, everyone ate as much until they were satisfied, full up. Jesus ends his questioning with one more question. Do you not yet understand? Are you not connecting the dots? You know, to grow as a Christian, we are to remember the word of God. So what do you do to remember and understand the Word of God? What do you do with the messages you received at church this morning? What are you going to do with it? Do you take notes so you can take the explanation of the text throughout the week and take it deep into your life all week? I always remember what MacArthur kept bringing up, and I don't know why... I mean, he spoke a lot, but there was like some of these little nuggets that kind of like stuck. He once stated that, are you like the man who came to church with a thimble to fill it up? And on the way out of church, he trips and spills the thimble on the ground and has nothing for the week. Is that what's happening today at church? Have you become dull in your walk in life with Jesus? I'm not talking about the external. Okay, because the Pharisees are really good at the external, dead on the inside. But take it deep into your life. The message this morning, what are you going to do with it? What do you have to take with you home to study for the week, to drive it deeper? Do you have those notes? What are you going to do with those notes? 
Is there a vibrant life with you and Jesus? Are things new each day or are you growing and you're growing more to love Jesus more each day? Or could you be like the Ephesian church in Revelation? Where you do the externals really well, but you're left, you've seriously left your first love. The romance that you have with Jesus is just dull. Yeah, yeah, I read the Bible every morning. Mm. Again, I've said this time and time again. People go, do you have a quiet time? Nope. Really? No. Every single time I get up in the morning, I'm in the Word, I'm in study, and I'm doing whatever, and I'm spending time with God, it's never quiet. It's loud. It's rowdy. I get so excited. Have you ever read Psalm 139 in a bored state? O oh Lord, thou hast known me and searched me and know every part of me. That's the bored state. The David state says, O oh Lord, you have searched me, you know me. And you notice how he takes this all the way down in, towards the end of the scripture. He turns around and he says what? Because you have searched me and you know me, show me, lead me. I love that. Because see, that's a man who's taken it in and down. What's it going to do to my life? It's going to change. That whole thing radically changed. Now, Joe reminded us that we must continually feed on the word. When the word is taught, be alert. Take notes. Study through the week. Share the truth that you're learning with those around you. What did Steve say this morning? It's something Rick Holland pounded in us in student ministries. Find someone who knows less than you do and teach them what you know. Guess what? If you're not studying yourself and after a while, guess what's going to happen? They're going to know more than you. So what's that cause you to do? Move it. Okay? I love that. I mean, find someone who knows less and just teach them what you know. That's called true community. That's what we are required to do in just the natural outpouring of our life. We feed on the word, but we have to keep it. What have we been learning in 2 Peter chapter 1? Can anybody tell? I don't know. Don't tell me. All right. In your mind, go back. Chapter 1, verse 12. We did this last Sunday. And if you've forgotten it already, take notes. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these, these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. See what Jesus was doing? He was reminding them, bringing them back through the teachings and what they saw and heard. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. You know, we have much more than they did back then. We have the completed scriptures in our language with many different translations that are easy to understand. I'm not a King James person. Why? Because I don't speak Elizabethan English today and I don't get it, okay? Now, when I grew up, I was in that, so some of my verses I memorized come out <laughs> Elizabethan, but, you know, we have so much. And we have no excuse not to be in the Word, not to devour it, not to feed on it every day. If you're not feeding on the Word every day, why are you not sitting there starving 
Learn from the disciples. Jesus was not talking about bread, but the destructive, invasive work of sin in our lives. Beware, stay alert, be quick to see it, quick to respond. Have scripture that you've memorized that hits that temptation square in the center and you've got the word of God in defense. Know the word to be able to use the word as a defensive tool against Satan's attacks. You know, he's the only source of food that we can feed on and be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, there's no way that we can actually exist and just kind of show up at church and, and move along and grow on our own just by existence. It takes work. We're really all told to be doers of the word, intent on the word, bearing the word deep in our life so it can actually grow us. David says that he just devoured the word. That's the attitude that we all need to have continually because we're so needy and dependent on every aspect of, of you and what you have for us. God, help us to only be satisfied in you. Help us to only feed on your word. Help us to trust you because this world around us is doing nothing but trying to destroy us and to obliterate us. God, if we're not founded on the word, we have no foundation. We are on that shifting sand. Wake us up. Help us to devour the word, study it to make it goes, goes deep in our life. And at the same time, too, help us to be awake, as Steve called us this morning, to literally go and be those who disciple others, as well as being discipled by those around us. God, help us to grow and to know the word and to take it deep in our life to cause the transformative work of our life to Christ-likeness. God, we love you and... So thankful for your, your love and care and patience for us. In Jesus, amen.